All right, guys, uh, you guys have kind of been seeing and hearing uh, very loudly about this incredible company called Public Square that has been taking the world by storm, taking America by storm. And uh, I've been desperately trying to get Brass and Unity onto that platform. And eventually I know it will come, but they are taking over the world in a way that you can be proud to buy products. You can be uh, proud to support the people that are on those platforms and you can be proud to support the founders. Speaking of, I have the CEO and founder, Michael Seifert on the show. Show, and I'm so stoked to have you here because it seems like you came out of nowhere, man. It kind of feels that way. As we look at the last few years, it's felt like one long day. Uh, incredibly rewarding, but it's definitely been on light speed. And so uh, we, we, we'll use a nap sometime when, when we have a little break from the tyranny uh, and we can take an hour to take a nap. That'll be really nice one day. But yeah, we kind of popped out of nowhere. It's been a wild ride. I can only imagine to see that zero to 60 feeling. I, I want to talk about how you, well, all things public square, but I also want to talk about the new platform you've got coming. And I want to talk about mainly how you got to where you are now and how you decided to take on this task of really just overthrowing companies and showing them that you do not have to do it in a way that you feel is unethical or doesn't support your values or doesn't support the people around you. So can you kind of walk me back where you came from and how this company of Public Square came to fruition? Yeah, I'm happy to. I've been witnessing for the past decade this divide in the American economy. And obviously, we're well aware that it's happening in many Western nations uh, around the world. Um, especially modern economies where the economy has moved from shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism. And for those unfamiliar with the difference and what those terms mean, shareholder capitalism was the old belief that a business should really just be about providing a quality product to its customers and serving the interests of the customers more broadly and the shareholders. That's all that really matters uh, at the end of the day. And uh, that used to be the way things were done. It was a wonderful way of operating in an economy. And then it moved to stakeholder capitalism, which is this idea that we should, as a business, factor in external stakeholders like marginalized communities or progressive political views or uh, uh, the climate or different things like this. And all of a sudden, businesses became political activist organizations rather than providers of service or quality products. I've been witnessing that for about a decade, but it's actually been going on far longer. That split started happening really in the 80s. And today it looks like ESG and DEI, these ideologies that have gripped America's business community, but also the world's business community. Corporations have become about serving the interests of global stakeholders rather than their actual customers. And the World Economic Forum has been the largest proponent of this move. It's disastrous and its consequences are incredibly um, uh, detrimental to the business community more broadly, but especially the small business community. Uh, if we look at COVID, for example, which was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back for us, the global response to COVID was absolutely disastrous because you had World Economic Forum, World Health Organization coming around and saying that it is the responsibility and the duty of companies and corporate oligarchies to enforce their will, the political values of the regime against the people. Otherwise, people will have too much freedom and they could use that to spread this virus. That was the message. What ended up happening was we saw the most consequential wealth transfer in world history from the small businesses that make your community special to the Amazons of the world. It's no surprise that Amazon cheered on lockdowns. They were the ones profiting off of it. And for us, 
I thought that that was just one of the worst crimes against humanity I've ever witnessed. It decimated communities that are valuable and near and dear to our heart around the United States, but communities around the world as well. And we said enough is enough. So in January of 2021, I had a list of businesses on a piece of yellow manila paper that I knew that we could feel proud to stand behind. These were businesses that loved our freedoms. They loved our liberties. They would champion our rights. They had more of a conservative traditional worldview about how the economy should operate, celebrating meritocracy and excellence. I knew the values of these owners and I knew that they would stand for me and my values. So I had them on a piece of paper and my wife and I said, from now on, we're going to these 22 businesses. Then I had a sort of epiphany of well, gosh, if if I love this list, I'm sure I'm not alone. There's got to be other people that would want their list. I wonder if we actually digitized this list and allowed for businesses to join this list by affirming the values and principles of this list. We could really create a special community here around this country. And uh, we're from San Diego, California. That's where we launched it. We started it in our local community with 150 businesses on this list and this digital network and 1,000 consumers. That was about two years ago. Now today, we have over 1.6 million members on our platform as consumers, over 70,000 small businesses on the platform. We're in all 50 states. And I promise you, uh, to our Canadian friends, we will be there before you know it. You will have Canada's marketplace soon enough. And uh, we can't wait for the continued expansion of the public square movement. I can't see how it's going to stop at this point. I feel like you've, they've got to be, these big guys have started started to feel the push and the threat because I saw something on uh, X the other day and it made me laugh quite hard. It was Amazon discussing something and right underneath was you guys responding and your answer to them was a platform better than theirs. And I'm sorry, but there's nothing better than guerrilla marketing that way. There's nothing better than answering the call. It seems very American of you to see how you've launched this, this very well part of my language, fuck you, I'll watch me, I'll do it too, and I'll do it better. And it's it's such a beautiful way of answering the call. It's it's It reminds me so much of so many people I surround myself with this community in the veteran space and the mental health space and this wellness space, which is send us, we will answer the call, we will show up, we will do this properly. And to see it grow in the way that you have from such a short period of time, have you ever taken a moment to sit back and really see and realize the amount of change that you've been able to affect in people's lives? I mean, it's got to be, that's got to be a lot, man. It's got to come with a lot of weight. It is a lot. And, you know, I reflect with friends and family often uh, about how easier it would have been just to do what I was doing before this. You know, I had a comfortable marketing job. I was getting to surf every morning. Um, getting to do multiple date nights a week with my wife and enjoy life. And it was, you know, kind of their problem out there that the other people could go fight the, the battles, but, but not, not us. Um, and eventually I just felt such a, like a weight on my chest that now nah, we, we got to do something. If not us, then who? And, um, and I'm so glad that that's the decision we made. I had no idea how hard it would be. Um, it's been brutal. There, there are so many days where I'm like, what, what, why am I doing this? And then right when that happens, we'll have a business owner reach out and say that their sales have grown a thousand percent from their presence on the platform. Or the lady reaches out and says, Hey, I've, I haven't trusted the medical system for years. And I just found a new doctor on your platform that I can finally trust. Or the stories of the lady who got fired from her job because she refused the vaccine and then comes and finds a job on the public square platform. Those stories, always come at such perfect timing as reminders of why we are doing what we are doing 
and uh, they fill me with a fresh level of vision for what the future can be. I remember uh, there, it was the first month we had launched in San Diego and there was a woman that reached out. She ran a hair salon and she said, hey, just letting you know, uh, after a month on this platform, this has already been 5x the best month I've ever had purely from Public Square customers. My business has transformed. And I remember sitting back that day and thinking that if that's all that ever happens, if it was all just for that one story where this person that was willing to stand for liberty got rewarded for that stance and the right type of business prospered, if that's all that it ever was for that one person, then all of this is worth it. And it just so happens, thankfully, that that same story now has happened for thousands and thousands of people uh, around this country, and we're excited for it continuing expanding. So I don't stop enough to answer your question directly. We don't reflect enough. We don't take enough of those sort of mountaintop moments. Uh, I take them for granted far too much. But as time goes on, the more that we're hearing these stories of impact, um, I'm learning better how to uh, be equally as hungry as I am today for more in the future. I'm not a satisfied person. I constantly want more, which is good. But at the same time, uh, I'm learning to, to taper that a little bit with, uh, some, some gratitude and reflection as well. So trying my best. That's okay. We can, we can only do our best as long as we try. That's all that matters. It just takes a, Sometimes it just takes someone to remind you that we all see what you're doing, but you still need to sit in that and take that moment to acknowledge it and be grateful for it because you're kind of meant for greater things. Certain people are, you see that with individuals, you can see it when they're young, you can see it when they're going through developmental stages, certain people are made for different things in this world. And it's clear that you were cut from a different cloth. Talk to me a little bit about where you came from uh, before you met your wife, because it seems like you guys hold a lot of the same values, a lot of the same structure. Do you come from a military family, a more pro-conservative? How did that work for you as a child? Both of my parents came from farming backgrounds, mm -hmm. uh, middle America farmers, corn and soybean. And uh, there's a different set of values there uh, that the, the progressive modern world would call very antiquated, but we actually believe that those values have held their communities together in a far better way. Time has shown uh, with very clear and really indisputable evidence that these simple values for excellence, hard work, meritocracy, freedom, liberty, true equality rather than equity, these things actually preserve a community, a public square in a way that no other ideology can. And my parents were direct beneficiaries of that ideology and the prospering that it led to their community. Their community, did it have all the glitz and the glam and that? No, but it had a real level of joy and contentment and human flourishing that is really rare these days. And so you see what the globalists are trying to do with the 15 minute cities and advancing these sort of tyrannical and authoritarian ideas that they believe will lead to human flourishing. But time and time again, people end up more depressed. They end up uh, less content and they ultimately end up seeking and hungering for meaning at the end of the day. Those sorts of ideologies are rooted in a sort of nihilistic thinking versus what my parents grew up in, which was a real sense of purpose. Uh, they knew why they were on this earth. And uh, I, I really found that to be inspiring. My parents were really religious as well. And, and that was in, incredible for me to grow up in, to see their faith evolve as the years went on. And uh, they grew as parents and as spouses of one another. That was inspiring. My wife had a similar upbringing. You know, her her family was from the deep South, Birmingham, Alabama. Mm -hmm. and uh, And their sense of values were really beautiful to witness. And we did things very traditional. When I wanted to ask my my wife out on a date, just our first date. I went to her dad first. Oh, and, wow. uh, oh yeah. Like it, you know, the world, 
the world would call it antiquated. But I asked for his permission to take his daughter on a date. And uh, I believe that's how it should be. And he grilled me as he should have. And, uh, and you know, it's, it, it's things like this that can feel like they're almost out of a sort of movie now, but that's still the norm in many places around this country. And uh, it, it was beautiful to be a part of. So our values were tested on the forefront. And because of that, we actually ended up creating a union that uh, is is centered and grounded and founded upon similar values and ideals. You know, a lot of couples today, as they're dating, they're asking these sort of superficial questions about attraction and things like that. And those are fine and important. But at the end of the day, the questions we were asking is like, do I want you raising our kids? Do you want mm -hmm. me raising your kids? Like, these are the questions that really matter. And, um, and thankfully, and all credit goes to the sort of mentors in my life and her life and our friend's life that cared about us enough to kind of be harsh on us to say, hey, whatever your generation is doing, they're missing it. You need to focus on these things. And I promise you it'll pay off years down the road. And thankfully it has. So, um, you know, that's our encouragement to other folks that are in kind of their formative stages of life or their career journeys or their relational journeys is like, find out the oldest, wisest people in your community that can pour some life into you and go ask their feedback and ask them to give it to you straight. Uh, ask them to give you the harsh feedback. Uh, that stuff will be incredibly formative for us. It certainly proved to be. And brought to you by Mindful Meds. You guys have been seeing me take Mindful Meds for a little while now. Mindful Meds is a premium supplement company dedicated to supplying humans with the tools to improve their mental health, clarity, and performance, all while supporting their growth along the way. Whether it's the Immunity Blend, Lion's Mane, Inspire, or Voyage, all of their products are clean, tested, consistent, and they've become a huge help in my life. I found Mindful Meds over a year ago now, and I've never looked back. Go check out their website, mindfulmeds.io, and use the code BRASS at checkout. Well, it's not only just that. I mean, I've heard, I heard this yesterday. There was an individual that I, I follow, and forgive me, I, her name is completely blanking I'm, I can see her face and I can see the conversation but her name is not there but she was talking about what you know what's the number one thing that huge you know companies influencers people business whatever it is you get people to poke holes in what you're doing whether that's your life your business or whatever and you get them to be honest and open and give you the feedback that you truly need because having yes men around you are never going to help you and get you in the direction that you should be. It's just going to fill ego and ego is just what fills this world with more, with more trouble and more issues and more darkness. And so I find it fascinating to see how you are fighting on a lot of different fronts here. And I want to get into that because you do have a family, you do have a bunch of different businesses. And it seems like as soon as public square took off, you started to lean heavily into other different types of conversations. You're not what the normal CEO is. You, you don't keep your opinions about the world and the WEF to yourself um, in fear of being canceled or in fear of being slammed on social media. I've seen you be quite public on, on multiple platforms, uh, whether it's in my country, in the United States or others, where you you speak pretty openly about, uh, you know, companies like Honest, uh, about diapers, about the way that people are running things all the way down to, again, the WAF and the way the governments um, are running things in these countries. Have you always been like this? Is this something you've been advised to not talk about publicly? Is this you're just I'm doing my thing and I'm protected and held and whatever it will be will be like, it just feels like you're doing this incredibly different than a lot of people I know. Uh, yes, yes, and yes. Uh, I've, always, I, I've always been this way. A lot of people tell me not to be, and yet it's just sort of, I can't, I can't turn myself off. Um, you know, you, on the first point, my, my parents grew up thinking that 
one day I need to do something that involves arguing for what I believe. Um, so some people would say that might've looked like a lawyer, too much paperwork. And uh, I, I would get bored too easily. I, I like entrepreneurship. I like starting things and building things. And so I'm grateful to be doing what I'm doing. Um, and then the second point, a lot of people would say, well, because you're running a company, you can't talk about X, Y, and Z issue. Um, and uh, we've gone the completely different way. And that's not just me. That's my entire team. Um, we, we just don't, we, we don't subscribe to that belief system. I actually believe that, uh, uh, that everybody should be able to speak very freely about what they believe and why they believe it. And especially right now it's needed more than ever. Uh, it's needed out of companies leaders as well, because if you see a target or a Bud Light or a Starbucks or, a, uh, Amazon, and you see their CEOs get to be very vocal about what they're thinking, as long as it mirrors the ideology of the regime of the day, like, then shouldn't we be all the more publicly vocal when we have a dissenting opinion? Like, people mm -hmm. need to know that the world is not just what you've been told. There's a whole lot more people out there that actually agree with you and believe the world should be the way you think it should be, full of freedom and prosperity and liberty and all these things. So, you know, for us, we've been advised by lawyers and all these things that, you know, I should tamper down and I, I just can't. <laughs> I, I, I can't. I was on a call yesterday and... You know, I was with an analyst and the analyst was wanting to know about our positioning on these issues. And can't you just kind of tone it down? And do you have to be so pro freedom and all these life and family and all those things? And, and, uh, can't you just be neutral? And I'm like, well, they're not neutral on the other side. Like they're, they say all the time what they think the society should be. And, and plus, by the way, we're not political. We're principled. Like I, I mm. never go and just parrot a political party. I never just go, we don't actually endorse any candidates as a company. We don't uh, even endorse a political party as a company. This will shock you with how vocal I am about our values and how vocal our company is. Did you know that 26% of our members are registered Democrats? So oh, wow. if you think that this whole platform is just full of like very adamant cookie cutter, what you would believe right-wingers look like, uh, it's not the case. America is frustrated at what's happening. People do not like the woke authoritarian crowd telling us how to live our lives. And we don't want to be lectured about gender when we're just trying to buy a pair of pants. What we're finding is that that frustration and the desire for something different, the desire for local community, the desire to support small businesses that love the country, the constitution and the values that it protects, that is a desire that actually, believe it or not, crosses over even political party boundaries. There are a lot of people that if you asked them today, well, are you a Democrat? They'll raise their hand and internally they're saying, mm -mm. it's just, you feel like you have to. And so what we're finding as we speak out is that more and more people are comfortable also speaking out. So when I you know, rail against the authoritarians and call Klaus Schwab a, a demonic tyrant, like, is that the most like kosher PC thing for a business leader to say? Nah, maybe not, but that guy wants me dead. So like, what, what other response is there, right? Um, and, uh, I hope that that level of speaking out has helped other people feel comfortable speaking out too. It's sad that we've gotten to a point where when we go to say something, we immediately walk it through a filter, a sensor, you know, you get that when your kids be kind, you know, don't open your mouth unless you have something kind to say, you know, be kind to others, watch your words. And we've kind of been brainwashed through that process. And of course, there's an understanding where you should be kind to others and you should be respectful of others. But it feels like 
I'm, I mean, I've been getting in shit for the recent episodes, but it feels like lately it's constant and it's pushing and it's aggressive. And I'm not sure how much you're aware of what goes on in Canada in terms of school systems and the new kind of diverse, woke ideology in multiple province called SOGI, sexual orientation and gender identification, all the way from kindergarten to grade 12, which is this constant pushing and this constant narrative around uh, our children having to be a label, this idea that they cannot just be the children that we we birthed and they can't just be the sex that we said they were when they came out of us. And it's this this constant uh, pressure that is that is felt. And I think it was two weeks ago, the entire nation parents came out and protested against our school systems while the school mm-hmm. systems called us a hate group. So the struggle that I'm seeing in Canada is definitely, it's what I would call, um, hey humans, I know you've all been seeing me drink HVMN's Ketone IQ lately. This is a game changer. Jet fuel in a bottle. I use Ketone IQ for everything in my life, whether it's running, cycling, podcasting, or just the extra boost that my brain needs. I won't lie, it helps push me to the next level in all things. I love Ketone IQ and what HVMN stands for. Go grab some shots today at HVMN.com and use the code BRASS20 and save. We're on fire. We're your hat and we're burning down. And you guys are about 18 months behind us in terms of laws and bills and censorship with our bill C-11 coming in last year to our bill uh, coming in in March of 24, which is made, which the government now can offer medical assistance and dying to kids down to the age of 12, the homeless, the addicted, and the mentally ill. So I'm not sure how you feel about any of those topics, but it seems like you're you're, you're probably going to have an issue. So when you see yourself eventually moving public square and expanding it outside of America into these countries where we have things like Bill C-11, which is a censorship online bill. How do you see yourself combating the data, the issues, any of these sort of, you know, tech industry problems as you scale into other places? It's a great question. Uh, so, um, so this is going to sound like, a, <laughs> no, no, it's it's just going to sound like an overly simplified answer, mm-hmm. but it actually has a lot of depth and, and thought through ramifications of it. Um, it's time to set some precedent. Like Mm. what I mean by that is fight back. You know, when we advance into other areas, by the way, we're already dealing with the United States. Like I remember Bill C-16 in in Ontario five years ago, whatever that was, and just thinking, oh gosh, this is sort of the beginning of the end for our dear friends up North. Um, Now, I believe fully that Canada is not beyond uh, lost. I, I believe that there's opportunity for redemption and restoration. As long as there are people that are still hopeful enough to fight, like there's a lot of hope that can be attached to uh, Canada's future. Same in the United States. You know, we it's easy to write off a state like California, where I'm from. But at the end of the day, there are a lot of freedom fighters in California that are standing for the truth. And so I have not given up hope in California. When we advance to these new areas that have these different problems in regulation, what you'll often find is that a there are there are occasionally loopholes it's just they're hoping that you either won't find them or that the loopholes cost too much to go through either in reputation or in finances right so by the way we have this in the united states for example the nasdaq which is Mm -hmm. a stock exchange uh uh, the Nasdaq uh, instituted a rule in 2019 that said that any publicly company, any publicly traded companies on the Nasdaq, had to have a certain board composition made up of different genders and marginalized communities and all these different things, or else you couldn't be listed. But there was a loophole: you could be listed and get around it. But if you did, you'd have to write a letter 
to all of your shareholders and it would be placed publicly. So what the NASDAQ hoped to do is to say that if you want to get around this rule, you're going to have to explain to your shareholders why you're a bigot. That was their plan. <laughs> a lot of a lot of these laws in the United States or Canada have loopholes like that, where it's like, if you right. want to get around it, you can, but you're going to look like a hateful person in their eyes. The second thing I would mention is that what we're finding in a lot of these court cases in the United States and Canada is that when somebody tests the limits, mm-hmm. they'll actually win. It's just they have to go through hell to get there. And a lot of folks are just afraid of doing that. They don't want to have to face all the consequences of being the precedent setters. So they just don't bother. And the governing authorities in both of our nations hope that they can just intimidate you into silence because they hope that there is nobody that will be uh, bold or brave enough to kind of go up against the establishment and not be afraid to set some precedent. So um, our our goal as we move into different uh, avenues and expand our horizon is get really, really well acquainted with the laws of the land, figure out where there are loopholes. And then where there are not loopholes, don't be afraid to push the boundaries, face the opposition that comes with it. By the way, it's only going to grow your business. Anytime any oppositions come against us and we've stood against it, we only then see a surge in traffic. Like, it's just how this works. Uh, So you'll get rewarded for it if you stand up and speak out about it. But on top of that, to the extent that there's intimidation and distraction through lawsuits and things like that, you know, we've got amazing teams around us that are ready to fight. And so our goal is let's go into these new endeavors, making sure that we're ready to fight. How is it that you are going to work with this social media platforms? Because I see Twitter and Amazon and all of these other platforms that are really, really squeezing and they're really trying to hold all of the space. So when you're looking at engagement and you're looking at burnout within customers and you're looking at um, this expansion, how are you going to combat that? Because I think it's going to be perfectly fine, frankly, but just from those people that are kind of like, well, people are going to get bored of it. It's kind of like a gimmicky thing. It's just very pro-America, very pro-right wing. Eventually people are going to get tired of the separatist feeling. How do you combat that? It's a great question. People ask often, like when the pendulum swings back, what does the future of public square look like? Um, first of all, I hope and pray the pendulum swings back <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, it, and then that it stays there. I, I I don't know, though, that we can always bank on the pendulum swinging back. Like, mm-hmm. it would have been really easily, it, uh, it would have been really easy for um, Solzhenitsyn in, in Soviet Union to say, like, oh, don't worry, the pendulum will swing back our way. But he didn't. He's like, this is the end. And when society comes back, it will just look different. But it's not going to be a pendulum swinging. Like, at some point, For those of us that are just sitting on the sidelines and saying, well, you know, we'll elect our version of a good politician here in a few years and the thing will swing back. Like at some point that pendulum stops swinging. And so, A, that's sort of a warning against complacency and apathy. But let's say it does swing back and let's say that society embraces freedom again and the nations of the West revolt against the wokeism and we win. Like, amen, amazing. The the beauty and the fruit of the public square platform that we've built is that you're going to need to support small businesses still. You're going to need to support the businesses that will never do the things that resulted in the problems that we were facing in the first place. You're going to need to support the content creators and this network of alternatives that are standing against the targets in the Amazons of the world. Like we need a network of alternatives. If you even look at manufacturing, you know, we've trusted so much of our manufacturing here in the United States and also Canada to countries that hate us. Like at some point that's going to wear out. COVID we learned, hey, maybe it's not a great idea that we let China make all of our stuff. Uh, the supply chain's falling apart. When that awakening takes place on a mass level in the world of economics, 
people are going to wonder, well, where the heck can we go for products that are made in North America? And there's going to be one marketplace that they look to. It's us. Nobody else is prioritizing this stuff. And so uh, I think that this is why I hearken back to two realities very often. Number one, only 52% of our platform members in the United States are registered Republicans. Only 52%. 22% are independent or no party affiliation and 26% are registered Democrats. So this thing has massive cultural impact that has a lot to, more to do with principles rather than it does any sort of specific policy affiliation. But on top of that, uh, I look at uh, the ramifications of this thing that are far deeper than even political views or values and have to do with broader socioeconomic factors at play here that are way less of a culture war and are may, way more of like an actual ingrained economic philosophy that we're going to need to prioritize if we want to see another 200 years of prosperity for the West. And uh, you add all that up and you see a, a, a longevity-filled need for the parallel economy that will way outlast myself. This is going to benefit my daughter. It's going to benefit her children, uh, which is why we're fighting so hard today. It's a wild thing to witness uh, somebody take on somebody like Amazon. Amazon is a, it's an animal. And my son even said it to me in the car the other day when I picked him up uh, from parkour. He said, mommy, Amazon's great. And I whipped my head around. <laughs> And I said, why would you say that? And he said, because I can just get whatever I want whenever I need it. And um, then it just shows up. And I said, but don't you think for a single second that there isn't repercussions to that? And he's seven. So we do age appropriate conversations and we go, I love it. honey, they don't treat their employees very well. Well, what do you mean? So, well, you know, mommy and daddy's companies. Yeah. You know how we treat our people? Yeah. They don't treat them like that. I said, absolutely not. I said, that's the thing you've got to understand, honey. Just because something's big doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean that it's good for the company. It's not good for the people around, good for their families. I said, honey, when you see those drivers show up at our house at eight o'clock at night, do you think they get to spend a lot of time with their mummies and daddies? Mm -hmm. I guess not. So when you start to turn the tide and have these open and honest conversations, I'm not sure how old your daughter is, but I'm under the assumption you're going to be speaking about these things in your home. So how are you speaking to the next generation that's maybe this more woke ideology, you know, 15 to 22 range where you're trying to get them to see that the way that the world is now is going down a very dark path if we don't get a hold of it really quickly. And just because you can have something from Amazon in an hour doesn't mean it's necessarily the right thing for you. I, I love the question, and it's one we've thought about at great length. And I think the answer is a lot simpler than people realize. Um, the number one fear of young adults, there was a U.S. news poll that that was conducted a few years ago, and I bet it's still true today, even though you know at the time it was polling millennials, now it's polling Gen Z. Uh, the number one fear of these young people were that they would never discover their life purpose. Mm. They wouldn't ever discover why they're here. And... I think that's very much true of Gen Z, if not more true even than it was for millennials. Um, our generation that's upcoming is the most lonely generation that the world has seen. Uh, and the best way to help sober people up to the reality of the way the world's going, especially for that 15 to 22 age group, is to, in a very loving way, play on that fear and say, hey, you know those feelings of isolation and loneliness? that are plaguing so many of your peers, maybe even you yourself, there are massive factors causing that. And one of them 
is the way in which our economy has incentivized and prioritized loneliness and has actually punished and disincentivized connection. Look at what happened during COVID. The goal was isolate you, get you at home alone. Who needs connection? You can just get your cheap products real quick. It doesn't matter that it's cheap crap made from countries that hate you. Look how fast it's on your door. Yes, the driver had to pee in a bottle on the way here because his company doesn't let him take a bathroom break, but don't mind that. Look how convenient your life is. What has that done to you? It has made you lazy, complacent, lonely, feeling isolated, hungering for connection, starved for meaning, hopeful for purpose, and yet consistently found lacking. All of these things are products to a degree of an economy that has incentivized these things. So what's the anecdote? Real connection, supporting a business and going down the street to an actual coffee shop where you have a real interaction with a human, celebrating and championing the business owners that are actually creating a society that you can be really proud of, not allowing for unfettered innovation to completely decimate all that is pure and beautiful. If you look at the United States, for example, the number one employer of non-college educated males, 10 million people fit this category that are employed by this industry. It's truck driving. Mm -hmm. This may feel random, but follow me for a second. One of the areas in which that automation, AI, technological innovation is going hardest at is truck driving. What if we could actually completely automate the supply chain? We don't even need people anymore. Have you even stopped to think about what that would do to 10 million non-college educated males in our country? Like that's, that's disastrous. You're going to strip their job and their meaning overnight. What will that do to these people and their families and their community? And let's stop for a second. Let's think our marketplace and the movement we're trying to create asks these questions. The Amazons of the world, they do not. And I think that that message right there to the next generation, hopefully would cause a bit of a wake up call. You would think sometimes they need to be shook. And I have thought about that a lot because both of my parents are long haul truck drivers and have been their entire Amazing. lives. So Amazing. I've seen this shift in this movement and this worry and this beginning of stress that is coming along with this innovation with Tesla trucks and all this self-driving and all of these issues coming down the pipe. I've seen what it does to a family unit up close and personal, and it causes significant amounts of anxieties and stress because some of these people went right out of school, if they finished school, right into driving a truck and doing that for a living, forget changing in the fuel prices and crippling the owner operators, but already seeing the shift in what it means to have a company on your own and then be able to even afford to ship your products on the ground. If we are constantly putting automation in place. I do see that as a downfall. That is my personal take on it um, from a large scale. When you're speaking about life of purpose, life of purpose, a friend of mine wrote a great article in Newsweek, uh, Dan Holloway, and he was talking about one of veterans' biggest issues is not just the PTSD we face from the trauma of the service, but it is the lack and loss of purpose in people's lives moving forward after they've left the career. So how do you see your life of purpose shaping the the next generation moving forward because you don't just have public square and the reason i keep bringing this up is because you do have other platforms i do want to talk about i do want to talk about the initiative on november 1st i do want to talk about your diaper company and your awareness with it because you are not just resting on this one thing to fix the issue you're tackling so many others so if you could uh, i would love to hear a little bit more about those and how you decided to start going into the baby space and tackling things like Amazon instead of just sticking with what you had. 
Well, uh, my answer is also an encouragement to people. Um, I was told early on in my professional career that one of the biggest mistakes people make as they're building their career is they try to get really good at stuff that they're not naturally good at rather than playing to their strengths and just pouring the gas on that fire. And they try to be sort of a jack of all trades and a master of none in terms of their skill set rather than doing an honest self-assessment and saying, how am I naturally wired? And I should probably build a career around those naturally wired things because then I can have longevity around it. One of the things I'm naturally wired uh, uh, with, I guess I would say, is I am incredibly ADHD. I'm not even <laughs> fully convinced that's a thing necessarily, but what I'll say is yes. I don't have an attention span. I, I get bored quickly. I move to the next thing. I like to build and then delegate and move to the next thing. And so rather than me starting a widget and building that widget forever and having that be the thing I focus on for 40 years, my personality is much more geared toward um, I want to build something and pass it off. And then I want to go build another thing and pass it off all around the same sort of mission, um, but executed in different verticals. And so that's not the case for a lot of people. For some people, even people in my family, they're engineers. And so it's like, I have one task and I want to do one thing for 40 years. And that's great. And I support it. Uh, and so while I'm the CEO of Public Square, and that's absolutely where I spend my full time, the world of Public Square has many different verticals in order to complement how we're sort of naturally wired. And what that's looked like is saying, okay, we have one mission. The mission is how do we provide an economic ecosystem that serves the human flourishing of a network of consumers that have felt hated on and antagonized for far too long? That's the mission. Okay, well, one, it looks like a marketplace. You need a central exchange where businesses and consumers can come together and transact toward that mission. Two, it looks like where there are holes in the market and there's a need for more products that fit that bill, let's actually go and create those products. Hence how we started a diaper company. We learn that there are millions of consumers out there that are very pro-life, they're pro-family. And yet every single one of the major diaper brands and baby brands in the modern world is vocally or financially pro-abortion. It doesn't make any, you know, it doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Uh, it, it doesn't confusing. make any moral, it, very confusing. It'd be like me saying, I want to start a men's shoe company and I'm going to donate the por uh, portion of the proceeds to the extermination of men. It doesn't make sense, but that's where the economy's at. So we learned there's a lot of consumers on our platform that want baby gear, and yet they're not finding a values-aligned option. Let's create it. So we created Every Life. And now Every Life is the fastest growing diaper company in modern history. And the message is simple. No matter where you're from, no matter what you look like, no matter your background or socioeconomic status, every child is a miracle and deserves baby gear that will serve that miracle. And we're going to continue doing this. Every time we see a need in this economic ecosystem, we're going to create the solution to that need. It's wonderful because it's liberating. Uh, it provides more prospering and flourishing for the marketplace, uh, but it's also lucrative. This uh, increase in, in profits by actually serving the needs of our consumers helps the business then grow and go solve more problems. So um, I, I, I've, again, comes back to me, um, I, I don't have an attention span. And so uh, I, when we're looking at solving a problem, the problem needs to be very simple because I'm not that smart. So the problem is simple. There's a lot of companies that, a lot of companies that don't like us. We made a list that do.
but then out of that, there's a lot of tentacles. Okay, well, here's a list of third parties that already do, but then there's holes that need to be created. Let's go create those. Then that gives us the money to go create more things. So it's a simple message uh, mission with a very complex set of executionable tasks. And uh, that that world that we've created is is where myself and certainly our team comes alive. It's interesting to watch it. Uh, the more I started to know about you, the more all of a sudden I started to see you on my algorithm everywhere I go with all the people that I'm associated with. And I saw last week you're associated with weightings in our community. Um, Tim Kennedy was discussing insurance issues and I saw so much that that's a problem. And I thought that was fantastic that you're not only just solving products or problems uh, in terms of a product, you're solving problems for people's lives that also include things like insurance and ways to protect ourselves and ways that we can really look after ourselves moving forward um, down the world. So that was something I didn't expect to see, but it was, it was welcomed. And I do love that you're tackling these issues. I would ask you at some point, if you could then tackle the next biggest issue we have in our world, which is the 44 suicides a day. So if you come up with a brilliant plan for that, I would absolutely love to be all ears on that because that is one of the biggest things plaguing our world. But for some reason, we can allow COVID to kill almost no people, but we can allow ourselves to kill ourselves and nobody has a problem with that. And not only that, we'll offer you suicide if you're just struggling with depression. So if you come up with a fix for that, please be my first phone call because I would love to know how we can save our community from itself. That is something that we have been tackling for a decade. And for some reason, it just seems to keep getting worse. Um, in saying that, I want to talk a little bit about the values and rationales and decisions behind how you move within your company. You said you're ADD and ADHD. I struggle with both of those labels. I just think we feed people shitty food and then we break them down and have them designed to not be able to handle anything but two seconds attention span. So talk to me about really when it comes down to your values as a human being and as a father and as a spouse and as a community member, how do you see public, uh, public square growing so that it can have a tangible community? Do you ever see yourselves doing conventions or events or things on a large scale where people can come together? I love it. Uh, yes, yes, yes. And yes, and yes. we absolutely <laughs> do. And look, I, I mean, at the end of the day, the online community we've created is tremendous, but you know, if you look at our, our company's sort of ethos, it's built around real tangible human connection. And I just don't think, you know, as much as I feel connected to you right now, looking through this screen, it's like not the same, buddy. it's not the same. It's not the same. There's nothing like being in the same room, shaking someone's hand, looking them in the eye, helping them feel valued and seen. And, you know, even talking about mental health and suicide, like, it, it, I don't know the answer, but I do know what makes it certainly worse, which is, the world incentivizing isolation uh that that absolutely makes it worse in every conceivable way um we are better when we're together and at the end of the day it doesn't have to mean mass quantity it has to mean quality you know even conservatives like i'm a more conservative person we're sort of individualistic in nature we're not very communal or uh, uh collectivist so a lot of people will say then well aren't you kind of pro-isolation it's like whoa, whoa, whoa hold on a second because I want to go on a homestead with some of my closest friends and create very quality relationships does not mean that I'm isolationist. In fact, 
It actually means that uh, I prioritize a quality of a few close relationships rather than necessarily the quantity of a large cityscape. And that's an important differentiating factor. So for us, uh, yes, absolutely to conventions and events. One thing that we're actually looking to do is create the largest small business conference our country's ever seen. Uh, we also want to mobilize audiences on the ground in other countries to start to prep the ground for the public square launch in these different avenues. By the way, I will share this. I've actually never shared this on a podcast or a radio show or anything before. So this is first. Uh, oh, I'm here uh, for uh, it. Yes, absolutely. So this is a Brass and Unity exclusive. Woo! We have an international wait list. You can find it at international.publicsq.com. So if you are listening to this podcast and you're from Canada or any other country outside the United States, please head to international.publicsq.com. All we're asking for is an email and a country of origin. That will help us know where is their interest. And I'm proud to say the number one country out of all the countries, and we're talking tens of thousands of people are on this wait list, is Canada. So yeah, yeah, I love it. Freedom. It's wonderful. Finally, somebody yes. help us out of this jail where no one can see our content. Someone, please. Bigger than UK, bigger than South Africa, bigger than Brazil, bigger than Australia, bigger than New Zealand. And those are some large countries that all have significant waiting lists on public square. Canada takes the cake. And so uh, we're, we're coming soon, I promise, friends up north. It it could be that tyranny. I'm not sure. Or that slip into communism. I'm not sure what it could be, but it does yeah. feel like it might be some of those issues, but I digress. That's just my opinion. And everyone else already listening to this knows my opinion. So we don't need to, we need to beat the drum on that. But I, I am super happy to hear that you are thinking outside the box in terms of physical events. There is, like you said, there's absolutely nothing better than sitting in the room with someone talking about a product, describing the product. You can see the passion in people's eyes. You can feel it in their hearts. And we do the best we can having to live where we live. But unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't always work out to be in the room. So it's nice to see that you guys are thinking of having that. And there's something really profound. And I don't hear others say this very often. I'm super glad that you did. Having a homestead, doing these things, you are the sum of the five people that you are around. You need quality over quantity, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that you're not for community or you're not for in-person. It just means that you're very specific about who you allow into your energy and into your space and who can really have access to your mind because these people, whether we like it or not, your tight-knit community live rent-free in your head and they do in your hearts and everything else. And that affects your family life, how you show up in the world and how you feel yourself. So I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with being incredibly aggressive about who you allow in because it does matter. It matters the most in my, in my personal opinion. I am excited to see the on the ground, uh, events, although I'm sure it won't be in Canada quite yet. I will show up at that event regardless if I'm allowed to or not. I'm what, what most call a surrogate American without a passport, but um, we're happy to support you guys in everything that you're doing in that internationalpublicsquare.com whitelist. We'll make sure that we put that in the bio, but kind of going towards the end of this, talk to me about November 1st. Man, that's that's tomorrow. That's tomorrow. What's happening you know tomorrow? We have, uh, by the way, I love that the way you just articulated the whole concept of who you let into your circle. And I also think it's not just so important for you to assess who you let into your circle. Whose circle are you really advocating to be in? And what I mean by that is that um, for me to have 80 people that 
uh, I'm surrounding myself with all the time means that I have zero close relationships. It also means I have nothing to give those people. I can't give 80 people my attention. I can't genuinely care about the affairs of 80 people. Uh, I can for five though. Like I can, I can find five and I can really know their life and I can really serve them and I can really care for them. And I can really make sure that they feel like they are known and seen by me. And like, that's, so it's not only about the fact that, uh, you know, I enjoy five people because, uh, that's all that, you know, I can really have in my circle. It's also, I, I really can only give to five people to really feel connected to them. And like, I'm serving them too. So I love that you brought that up. Um, November one's big for us, you know, to date, we've been a digital marketplace directory, meaning we show you businesses and products and services that share your values, but then you actually conduct the transaction on the business's site. Our goal is to combat Amazon while helping small businesses and local communities flourish. The way we do that is by integrating a payment system into the platform where we can actually broker the transactions at the point of sale, and you never have to leave our site in order to conduct the transaction. So no longer do you have to go see what the businesses offer and then go to their site and conduct the transaction, adding steps to the user experience. We're actually bringing it all in-house one shopping cart, multiple vendors, so that you can buy a new holster and a thing of toilet paper all in the same shopping cart. It's so, very cool, the route we're going. So how do you, what payment platform are you using then? Because- So know- we're actually developing our own world. We've we've been with Stripe for a while and uh, that's always been, uh, had an expiration date. We've been ready to leave. And so we're actually developing PSQ Pay, which is very exciting. So uh, more on that to come. We'll be able to announce more in the near future, but we're actually building our entire own payments ecosystem for this very reason. Um, We want to be the only retailer where you can buy guns and uh, uh, paper towels in the same transaction. That hasn't been able to happen since you could go to a Walmart in the 80s and uh, get your groceries with a, a new rifle. Um, and, and so we're excited to bring that back. Um, we believe that people deserve freedom in the transaction experience. And, you know, in the United States, we have a second amendment that we hold very dear and, uh, and, uh, we want to make sure that the rights that are found in our really sacred documents of these, um, uh, these governing bill of rights are, are found emulated then in the economy. And so all of our tools need to service that need. And so that's obviously what we're building as time goes on, but this really helps us take a step toward combating Amazon, uh, and the convenience that some of that platform offers. Um, we talked about it earlier in this episode, Amazon sacrificed value and morality and ethics for convenience. They went too far. The reality is you don't need stuff on your porch this afternoon via drone. And if you do, like you're probably not our customer and that's okay. But you also don't want to wait four weeks for things. You you And you don't want to have to go through eight different hoops to get that thing. We can certainly make the experience more seamless. It's that blend that we're trying to create. And tomorrow on November 1, we're launching that e-commerce platform. We're also doing a pretty exciting brand revamp. We're adding new search capabilities to our platform. We are enhancing the user experience in a lot of different ways, and uh, it's pretty cool. So November's one is a big milestone for us among many milestones in the near future. Lastly, one of my questions, and I ask a lot of business owners uh, this, do you guys have a charitable component? That's a great question. We... uh, we do for multiple sects of our business. And what I mean by that is if you take every life, for example, 
Uh, Every Life is the only pro-life, pro-family diaper company in the world. Uh, it's the fastest growing diaper company in modern history. We have many more products that we're adding to the mix in the near future uh, for that brand. Every Life, for example, um, gives actually a portion of our proceeds through a buy for a cause program to adoption facilities and crisis pregnancy centers, uh, nonprofits that are focused on uh, building parenthood and the parent-child relationship. Uh, this is really, really exciting for us. So we are uh, pressing in in areas where it's it's makes a lot of sense for the business, given the message of the business. And uh, we're also championing uh, a lot of companies that are doing similar things, even if we don't directly own those companies. And then we also look for opportunities to give back, given what's happening in the world. So for example, Maui, the disastrous fires mm-hmm. in Lahaina on Maui that uh very puzzlingly, it seems like the world just kind of forgot conveniently. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Very, very fascinating. By the way, lots of real estate is now being bought up by the globalists. Gee, I uh, wonder on the shores why of, that yeah, happened. No real one fascinating. Shocked. Yeah. Um, nobody still knows where the 800 kids are. So, you know, um, it's heartbreaking and it's, and it's, and it's really disgusting, honestly. And so we wanted to give back to the parents in need in Maui. And so we actually gave 140 partnered with our consumers to donate 140,000 diapers and 200,000 packs of wipes to families in Maui. We also, um, after the covenant shooting at the Christian school in Nashville, Tennessee, Mm -hmm. uh, back in April, I guess it was of this year, uh, we actually sponsored a NASCAR racing car that had a on the hood a, a Pray for Covenant logo where you could donate to the families that uh, unfortunately were the victims of that atrocity. Um, uh, that's another situation, by the way, that's that not we still don't about? know what happened. Yeah. No. And the manifesto never got released. And so while the world has forgotten these things, we haven't. And um, we want to make sure that we're giving and putting our money where our mouth is to help the people that have been victims of these atrocities. I'm really glad to hear that. It's one thing to donate. It's another to be consciously aware of what these atrocities atrocities stand for and also how we just wipe over them because they're just, they're normal, right? All of these are normal. All of these things that just happen, these fires, all of it, they're just they're just normal, right? It's just, it's fine. We just move on to the next distraction, the next thing, the next, the next thing that takes you away from the fact that we're kind of unsure about that shooter and all of a sudden the medication and then the other shooter that just happened and the early release from a psych ward, you know, we just, we overlook all of these things. So, you know, in saying that I'm, uh, I'm really grateful and glad to have had you on and to have heard all of these incredible things about Public Square that, you know, if you did not know, now you know. And now you know if you're American, which most of you are that are listening, this is definitely a platform I would uh, highly recommend and think not only if you have a small business, you should go support and you should get on and be a part of. It seems like you guys are changing up the way of the world and I see you guys as the next path forward. So I'm really, uh, really glad that you decided to take on the, the monumental task of not just taking the list and looking at the list, but taking action, stepping forward, if not who, right? So good for you for doing that. Um, it is not an easy, not an easy task and it won't be moving forward. You just keep putting your head and your neck further and further out for free speech and freedom. And you know, you know what comes with that. So I do ask that you be smart and be safe and be careful because I would not like to see you on a headline anytime soon. 
you know, one of the perks of living in the free state of Florida is that we have constitutional carry here. So uh, we, we get to carry our guns pretty much anywhere we go. And it gives me a little extra peace and safety and security, uh, knowing the opposition that we're facing. So I certainly appreciate the support and the prayers. And uh, we're going to keep fighting the fight. We we don't have another option. So um, grateful to be able to speak it about, about it with you today. It's awesome. Thank you so much for sticking with me. All right. You stay with me, everyone else. That'll be it. We'll see you all next week.